Hello, Marketeers. Welcome to another episode of AEC Marketeer Podcast, exploring AEC marketing and beyond. I'm your host, Keelan Cox, and I'll be exploring marketing trends and answering your most pressing questions to help you thrive as an AEC Marketeer. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I have on Rachel Mamiya. She is an experienced marketer that quickly moved up the corporate ladder to become the chief operating officer for one of Hawaii's largest construction cost consulting firms. In addition to our AEC career, Rachel is also the founder and owner of Sunstage Music, a Hawaii based music production studio. Welcome, Rachel. Hey, Keelan. Thanks for having me. I'm so thrilled to have you. How did you get started in this industry? What's your story? Sure. So I think the common story across all of us AEC marketers is that we fell into it somehow. We just needed a job and it showed up. And that's exactly my story as well. So I guess my background is that I'm a musician. I used to be like a singer-songwriter, artist, and I went to college for the music industry and totally thought that was going to be my game, my career. And I realized after graduating that I had to choose where I wanted to live. And I wanted to live back home in Hawaii. And the thing about Hawaii is that if you want to be in the music industry there, it's probably not going to be very profitable. We're working on that. (laughs) But usually if you want to have like a, a traditional career in the music industry and like be able to make a living, you have to live in L.A., New York or Nashville. Those are the big three. So my thoughts were like, okay, well, you know, I'll move home. I'm going to be an entrepreneur. I'm going to start my own music company and it's all going to work out great. Right. So (laughs) came back home and I'm glad I did because I actually met my husband within the first month of moving back and tried the uh, entrepreneurship thing and realized like, okay, this is probably going to take a while to actually like make some money. (laughs) So (laughs) so I was like, okay, I guess I got to find a job. So I went back to my college job and my main job in college was working at Apple. And I worked at the Genius Bar there and stayed there for a couple of years and wanted to like move on to something that felt more quote unquote professional. And so I was like, hey, law school sounds like a great idea. I can learn how to be, you know, a lawyer and I was going to get my MBA at night on top of that. So I was like, oh, and I can learn how to be a business owner through that. So I did one semester of that, Keelan, and I realized, (laughs) (laughs) first of all, if you're going to go to law school, probably do it because you want to be a lawyer. And I think I was just sort of like reaching for, you know, something. Mm -hmm. And I realized, okay, well, I don't want to be a practicing lawyer. I just wanted to know about law. But it was getting to the point where I was paying for schooling um, or actually, you know, (laughs) my husband's going to kick me for saying that he was paying for my schooling. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he's fantastic, by the way, just like the most supportive person in the world. So I realized I didn't want to be a practicing lawyer. And then I also realized that for MBAs, you will get a lot of great knowledge with that. And I'm sure that everyone with MBAs will say that as well and have used it to a great extent. But I think I realized like, you know what? I think the fastest track for me is to just learn 
from business owners and mm-hmm. people who are doing it because you know like a piece of paper is a piece of paper otherwise is who are you learning from what kind of experience do they have you know all of that good stuff so i ended up dropping out of law school and i just needed a job and on craigslist i found the opening for an admin and marketing coordinator at Jay Uno and Associates. Oh, how funny. <laughs> yeah. So that is the story of how I eventually got to this industry. Well, what you say there is so true about education. Like I enrolled in a master's and I know that had I done it right outside of school, it would not been nearly as educational as when you actually have to work and then you start applying what you're learning back to your current job. So Mm -hmm. well done there for recognizing that. (laughs) That's so true. I wish I had talked to more people before entering school again, just because it could have saved me, you know, one semester's worth of tuition, but you know, we all learn. (laughs) And you learn. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. And you know what I found interesting about this AEC industry is I guess what it's centered around. So I I was coming from the music industry and I still have my hands in music. Like my husband and I have a music company. But what's interesting about like those glamour industries, so like music, fashion, film, stuff like that, is that you really rely on this idea of image you are trying to market directly to people so it really matters honestly what they think of what you're promoting whether it's a song or an artist and you are so reliant on that and that drives your business whereas in this industry in AEC you're not really relying on what people think of you you are getting business because you're able to work well together with right. other people, with other companies and teams to, to create buildings and infrastructure that are going to stay standing. And I thought that was actually really refreshing um, just to see like, okay, you might not have a ton of recognition in this industry. Like your name is probably not going to be on a building mm-hmm. or something like that, but you just contributed something to the community that's going to stand for a long time. So I thought that was really special. So yeah, it's, it's pretty cool once you really think about it. Yeah. I, I mean, so many marketers that I've talked to have said that exact same thing of like why they stay in the industry is because the work that they do has such an impact on their community. So what you just said there lines up perfectly with the general consensus. <laughs> yeah, that's why we're doing it. Yeah. <laughs> So I wanted to dig into your current role a little bit. You are the COO of JUNO Associates, which is incredible. Congratulations, first of all. And working at a small firm, I know that you wear a bunch of different hats. I know you're doing HR, accounting, and probably, you know, far more than that. I do think a lot of marketers that work at small firms do similar things, maybe not to the extent of a COO, but they're definitely, their roles go past marketing and they don't have that title. They don't have that recognition. What advice would you give marketers who are doing far more than marketing and perhaps not being appropriately recognized? What advice would you give them? 
Sure. Well, I would say that everyone's situation is going to be very different. And I'm coming from a place where I entered into a really small AEC firm where the owner in particular, well, the founder and owner was looking to build his succession plan. And he was also in the process of implementing it. So that being said, I think I, I kind of lucked out, honestly, to walk into a situation where I had a lot of support. He was eagerly looking for young leaders to step up and develop processes and infrastructure for the future of the company. So if that opportunity is available to somebody, then I think the first option or the first question they should ask themselves is what do they want? for themselves in their career? And that's a super huge question, right? It's like that existential crisis we kind of have. And I mean, what do you want to do is one of the biggest questions, right? But if you can just narrow it down to like, okay, do you want to just do marketing? Or do you also want to do all of these other things? Because yeah, what you said is exactly true, right? Like usually at these small firms, People get hired as the marketer because, I mean, marketing is always a need at these mm -hmm. firms because you have the proposals and that whole process. But they're also required to do the admin and the accounting and the contracts and all of that stuff. And so if somebody is being put in charge of all of that, then if they don't want to do it, then maybe it's just as simple as a conversation with their right. principal or... You know, and then, of course, depending on their situation, they can decide what they really want. Do they want to stay at that company? Do they want to go look for opportunities elsewhere, maybe at a larger company where you can just specialize in marketing itself? But I, I guess for my story, I found that I really enjoyed working on a lot of different things. And actually, if I had to only work on marketing, I think I would have. I don't know, like died on the inside <laughs> because uh, I, I just love learning new things and I don't necessarily want to be an expert in it or specialize in it. I am fine with eventually hiring somebody who does want to specialize in those things and they will do that job a million times better than I ever could. But I love learning, you know, just enough about something to get it started, to build it, to develop processes around it. And then figure out a good way to pass it on, whether it's through another person or through automating it with some sort of software or process. So if somebody is in that place where they just love doing that, then something like, you know, looking towards a title or a role that fits that more could be for them. And That's really good advice. How, I mean, yeah, I think the big eye-opening moment for me was when our vice president, he brought me to lunch one day and he said, Rachel, so like, what do you want to do for us? And I mm -hmm. said, oh, I don't know. Like, what do you want me to do for you? <laughs> and he's, he said, no, no, no. I want to know what you want to do because right now, if it's just marketing, then let's figure a way out for you to do that and we'll hire support in other areas. But 
I mean, we really need help in all of these different areas. Like, you know, the company really well, what do you want to do? And for me, I was like, okay, well, I don't want to just focus on marketing. I love learning. I love working on all this different stuff. I just don't want to do the same thing from year to year to year. So then, you know, I was really fortunate because he really presented the idea of the COO to me. And I guess I was in a way already covering the areas of responsibilities that I cover today. But I think what came with the official role, and I guess title, you can say, is just like that overwhelming sense of responsibility to (laughs) not just like, okay, I have to handle this and this and this and this. Now, I think my mindset has switched Mm -hmm. to be more so like, okay, if I am not here, right, if something happens to me, you know, knock on wood is this company still going to run? Is there still going to be enough processes and people in place in order to still run the accounting and the HR and the contracts? And so now that's what I feel my job is, is to make sure that this company is set up, we have the proper structure. Whereas before it was sort of just, oh, Rachel, like you can do this, this, and this. And I was like, okay. And then also this, this, and this, and this, and this. And I was doing everything on my own, but now I'm looking for the most effective way to find support. So we've been like hiring people and I've been developing processes with them and such. So I think that's the biggest switch that I've seen in my particular situation. But yeah, I think it just starts with somebody knowing what they want and then they can determine based on their relationships, right, with the leadership there at the company, what's possible. It also just, it sounds like the leadership at JONO, we have to give them huge props because to have those conversations is so impressive. Like that Mm -hmm. is just such a forward thinking company in general. So well done, (laughs) JONO. Yeah, absolutely. I really, really lucked out. And I know that Other leaders like that are definitely out there. But I I think the very common thing that we see in our industry is that the leaders are usually the technical experts. So Mm -hmm. they're like the architects or the engineers. And some of them may be like, hey, I just want to do architecture, like go for it, (laughs) right? Like whatever you want to develop, like just go for it. And then others might not be that way. So everyone's going to be in a very different situation. True. Very true. Switching gears a little bit. In one of our conversations, you called Hawaii the New York of the Pacific. And I loved that analogy. How do you think the melting pot cultures within Hawaii and perhaps even the native Hawaiian culture has shaped modern business on the islands? Oh yeah, absolutely. So the story behind that comparison, Hawaii and New York, is really just because I went to school in New York. Actually, a a funny story is that in high school, you know, like junior year, right, like everyone's trying to get into college. At, At my school in particular, we were like a college prep school. So everyone's talking about it, right? Like, oh, this is my first choice of school, my second choice, stuff like that. And I remember one of my friends, she's Indian, 
And she said, I really want to go to New York University, NYU. And I was also trying to get into that school. So we were talking a lot about it. And we knew like, okay, like this is how many people they take and they're looking for diversity, like stuff like that. And I told her, and this is me being somewhat naive at the time. I was like, oh, like you'll probably get in. Like your grades are great. You're like part of the minority group. And she's like, what? I'm not part of the minority group. And I was like, yeah, you are. You're you're like one of two Indian people at our school. And she said, Rachel, in New York, I am not part of the minority. I am part of the majority there. And I remember thinking, oh, I never thought of it like that because growing up in Hawaii, the majority of our ethnic makeup is a mixture of Asian cultures because we're right smack dab in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Mm -hmm. So we have Native Hawaiians, of course, who were already there for a while. And then we also have a lot of people from Japan, China, Korea, the Philippines, pretty much anyone that migrated over for opportunity. And so we are the New York of the Pacific because this is where all of the immigrants from, I guess, the east side ended up landing often. So over here, like my, my ethnicities are, I'm native Hawaiian, Filipino and Chinese. And over here, there are so many Filipinos and it's kind of like just common. You could just like close your eyes, point your finger, and (laughs) you're probably pointing at somebody who's like at least part Filipino. (laughs) Right. And I ended up getting into NYU and I went over to New York and sure enough, my friend was right. There are so many Indian people there, but there are very little Filipino there, hmm. which was hilarious because I realized like, oh, actually, I'm the minority here, whereas in Hawaii, <laughs> I'm, I'm part of the majority. Right. So it was just interesting to see that difference. And I realized at that point that Hawaii is like New York as far as being a mixing pot. It's just a different sampling of cultures it just pulls from different parts of the world but it's very much the same in the sense that like you are constantly working with people from different cultures different perspectives and I think that's the biggest thing that we have to be aware of when we work here in the Hawaiian Islands is you have to be aware of who somebody is where they might be from what their culture is because that will influence how they work with you, what they expect of you. I mean, Japan is huge on bringing gifts, right? Like if you go to someone's office, you should probably bring something with you to give to them. Also in Japan, if someone invites you out to drink, you should probably go and drink with them. (laughs) (laughs) And so then you got to work on your tolerance and make sure you can hold your own. But, you know, it's just like these little things that really make a big difference. It's so funny you say that because I know that you and I have known each other a while now and every single time you show up, you always show up with a gift in hand. And I was always so confused by that, but now (laughs) it makes sense. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's so funny. I, yeah, I totally forgot that I I do do that. I mean, we were thrilled. You always bring the best chocolates, but it was just like, this is really cool. I wonder where this comes from. 
Yeah, yeah. For us, it's really normal to do that. And I, I think what's really cool about Hawaii is that because it's a, a melting pot, all of these cultures can interweave with each other. And you'll come across a person where they're like from Japan, for instance, and you're like, okay, I'm gonna treat this situation a bit differently based on what I know about the Japanese culture. But if someone's like third generation, fourth generation, like grew up in Hawaii, then that's a completely different <laughs> mentality as well. Sure. Right. Like, so it, it's just really kind of funny to see how that all works out. And the other thing too about Hawaii is that we're, whereas New York, right? Yeah, it's a melting pot, but it's huge. Mm-hmm. So if you don't handle those relationships well, if you don't treat other cultures with respect, or like perhaps you develop a bad reputation with a person or a company, chances are you're still going to be able to get business because there are so many different companies there. Like it's just big in New York. Now, in contrast, Hawaii is very, very small. So it's one of those places where everyone knows everyone. Or like somebody will at least know someone that knows you and they can ask about you. And so it's like that much more important to make sure that you're treating everybody with respect, with aloha. And I I can talk about that after this, but your reputation is really, really important here. And the reason is because in order to keep winning work, people have to want to work with you. There are only so many companies here that you can get work from. Yeah, that makes sense. So let's dig into the Aloha culture. I know you have a really great story about your grandpa that ties in so well with our industry. Would you mind sharing that? Sure, sure. So a little bit of uh, background on my grandfather. He was the first Native Hawaiian senator And he was obviously a Hawaii senator, and his name was Daniel Wakaka. And something that he always taught me growing up is that aloha is powerful. And also, it's highly underestimated. And so I think most people are very familiar with the term aloha. You'll often see it used as a greeting, like hello, goodbye, stuff like that. I guess we can talk about, like, as marketers, we can also understand that things may be marketed a certain way. But what I will say about Aloha is that it is marketed just as a greeting. However, in truth, there's so much more meaning to that word. So the thing about Hawaiian words is that you can have one word that means a million different things. It like has a deeper meaning to it. And so with Aloha in general, yes, it is a greeting. Yes, it does mean love, but it's also a way of life, an attitude, like a spirit. And so my family taught me that the word, if you break it up into two, alo means face or in the presence of, and ha means breath. So the whole thing together can mean you're in the presence of the breath. And it's kind of like similar to, okay, you know that movie Avatar? Yes. Okay. So in Avatar, they have a saying that is, I see you. Yes. So when they, they see each other, or <laughs> when they see each other, when they <laughs> greet each other, they say, I see you, or they, they just say it to different living creatures. And the deeper meaning of that is that it's, it's really just a respect and recognition of the other being. 
And so aloha is the same way. When you say aloha to someone, it means that you recognize them, you see them, you feel love towards that person. And so, you know, like you wouldn't, for example, be able to say aloha to someone you're mad at. It just comes with this feeling. So going back to aloha being powerful, you know, working in politics is not easy. And the method that my grandfather used was treating people with aloha, having love for people. And that meant people in the opposite party than him, people who didn't agree with him on certain things. And so what I thought was really interesting about his method is that he actually didn't really get a lot of recognition for the things that he worked on. And the reason why is because he worked with other people to accomplish that goal. So like, for example, he did a lot of work in getting NASA to where it is now, like on your credit card statements, you know, like that box that says, oh, if you only pay this minimum payment, you're going to take like X amount of time to pay off all your debt. Like he was behind that. He was behind a lot of reusable energy groundwork. But you would never see his name, probably, on any of those. And the reason why is because he worked with a team to accomplish it. And that's what happens in our industry, right? Like, we work with so many different people. But the purpose is to accomplish a goal with excellence. So I I think even more so in our industry, aloha is very important. Because you have to work with people. You have to love people. You have to be okay with our differences. And the goal really is to make sure that we put a good product out there, a good building, and it stands the test of time. I love that. That's probably one of my favorite stories so far. So just to wrap up, what do you think people should know about working in Hawaii? Sure. So the first thing is going back to what my grandfather always taught me, which is that aloha is powerful. Never underestimate the power of aloha. It's so important and it's the foundation of, yeah, doing business here in Hawaii, but also anywhere. Anytime you're dealing with people, aloha is so powerful and you would be surprised at how somebody that maybe you have a hard time working with or they're very close-minded, once you just hit them with a ton of aloha, they'll open up, they will blossom and and they can be a lot easier to work with. So yeah, I would say that's the number one thing about Hawaii and also just with anybody that you work with. But I, I think the other things that I'd love for people to know is that our small local firms here, it's really interesting to see how excellent their work quality is. And sometimes I've even seen them outperform some of the larger international firms as far as quality goes. And I mean, I don't know why. I'm five years in, I still feel like a baby in this industry. But I wonder if, you know, maybe it could be the work standards of like various cultures that Hawaii pulls from. Excellence is definitely a high value here. But I think the other thing too is that we're kind of forced to do our due diligence. And what I mean by that is if you're trying to, build something here in Hawaii, we really have to import a ton of our materials. So for instance, like, I mean, we handle cost. So we understand that for something to get built in Hawaii, we have to take into account 
like shipping and timing and, and things like that. Whereas a larger national firm or international firm, if they hear, oh, you're doing a project in Hawaii, okay, yeah, we're just going to use this national cost database, whatever the price is here, we're going to apply this factor to it, right? So times it by two, <laughs> and that's how much it's going to cost in Hawaii. But, you know, we, we see that is highly inaccurate here. So we have to go in and do the research or else, you know, we're going to cost a building under budget and it's not going to get built. So I think just that habit has made us a lot more aware of the details and making sure that we do things right. Because if we don't, something may not happen here that we have been planning for and designing. So the other thing about working in Hawaii, so if, if a firm is looking to do a project here, I would definitely recommend partnering with a local firm for the reason that I, I just mentioned. Building here is different than what you might find on the mainland. So like working with a small firm that has experience here is really, really helpful. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate you taking the time to sit down and chat with me. Yeah, thank you, Keelan. This was super fun. All right, Marketeers. Well, that is a wrap on this week's episode of the AEC Marketeer podcast. I hope you enjoyed hearing from Rachel. And as always, if you're enjoying this podcast, I would invite you to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. New episodes are released every Wednesday. Chat soon.